Well, the title of my message this morning is Living Well. And I'll give you a little background in just a minute. But living well, when you hear that phrase, what are some of the thoughts that come to our mind? What does it mean to say living well? What does living well look like? For some of us, quite probably, it goes to something like the lifestyles of the rich and famous. How many of you have ever watched that show? Come on, you can confess. We won't judge you here. You know, there's all this programming and stuff about fancy lifestyles, wealth, and, and so often when we think of living well, that's kind of the phrase we attach to the way people appear to live to us looking from the outside. Living well. As a matter of fact, in the dictionary, I looked in Collins English Dictionary just to see what the number one definition would be. Guess what it was? A life of luxury. Number one definition. And I would say for the world, that's probably the way they think, living well. We get our eyes on other people, what they have that we don't have, and we think they're living well and we're not. Living well could also mean so many different things to different people depending on the culture you live in, the location you live in. You know, if you you go and talk to a family in some third world country and and they talk about America, they think we're all living well because they think we're all wealthy, we're all rich. We've all got all these material goods. We got it made. We're living well. What does living well really mean? What does it really look like? It goes way beyond material goods. I hope we get that. But it also goes way beyond just doing good things, doing good deeds. It goes beyond that. It goes past just good behavior. It goes past that. We're going to be looking at what it means to be living well, what I I believe from a scriptural perspective. And I believe for us, we could maybe just start with a broad definition like this. Living well means living in such a way that it brings glory and honor to God. Glory and honor to God. A few weeks ago, some of you that are here were at the True Bridge Regional Conference up at Grace Life Church. And the theme of the conference itself was living well. And actually, the theme verse was in Titus chapter 2, verse 12. And we're going to be looking at some of the verses surrounding that verse here this morning. And it was kind of planted in the minds of, especially Doug Wing, the leader of Truebridge, this living well concept. When Jim McCracken made a comment at one of our leadership team meetings, he says, is the church prepared to live well in the culture that we are in now and where we're headed as a culture. In other words, is the church prepared for what's coming? And what's coming, well, we might say it's already all here. Well, according to the Scripture, it's going to get a lot worse before it ever gets better. We may have those times when things seem to rally in the natural, but we know that the Bible's pretty clear. It ends well for Christians. But the world is going to suffer a lot worse than it's suffering now. So living well. Paul is writing to Titus in chapter 2. Well, the whole book of Titus, actually. He's writing to Titus, telling him how to teach. Titus was an amazing Bible teacher. He was mentored by Paul. And he was a teacher. And the whole book of Titus, if you read it, it starts out with him giving instructions for what we call the requirements of an elder. He's telling them, this is how elders should live. 
But he doesn't stop there. Then he goes on, and there's, these are, this is how the older people should live. The older men, the older women, this is how they should live. Then he goes on and says, and this is how the young men, and this is how the younger women should live. And then he doesn't stop there, and he gets to this point just before the scriptures we're going to look at. He even tells us how slaves should live in relationship to their master. Even slaves, there's a way to live. Now, in our culture, it's a different, different culture completely to what it was in Bible times with slaves and there's masters. But it's interesting to me, no matter how they were treated differently and much better probably than most of us think of when we hear the word slave, they still were not very high up on the totem pole. But he is telling them, this is a way you can live, and there's a good reason why you should live this way. And that's what I want us to focus on this morning, on how Paul says this is how we should live, here's why we should live, and here's what it looks like, and probably most importantly, how to do it, because there's really only one way. And I hope you see multiple times this morning some of the words that we sang and the songs we sang this morning, because we can only do this by grace. We can only live in such a way as to bring glory and honor to God by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit. Those two things together, they're almost really, really, really hard to separate. The grace of God and the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be looking at this. We're just going to start in verse 9 of chapter 2 of the book of Titus. So if you've got your Bibles, I encourage you to go there. And we're just going to go through verses 9 through 15 and see what he is saying about how do we live this way? What's it look like? Why should we live this way? And I think relatively straightforward teaching. But also, Paul teaches in a very profound way. Why live well? Starting in verse 9. So here he's talking about the bond slaves or slaves in some of your Bibles. It says, And the bond slaves are to be subject to their own masters in everything. To be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. There's a word you don't hear much these days. What's pilfering mean? Don't steal. In those days, bondservant and pilfering were almost used interchangeably because Servants were notorious for holding back some of what they did for the master. Kind of the Ananias and Sapphira thing. Sell the land, hold back some of the money. He says, don't do that. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. That phrase there caught my attention right away. Adorn the doctrine of God. What in the world does that even mean? Let's look at a practical way. You're going to go out for a, to a banquet. Maybe it's a wedding reception. And it's time to get ready and it's time to get dressed. And word is, it's going to be fancy and formal. So what do we do? Don't I look good enough in jeans with my shirt on tucked? Go ahead, you can say Yes. No way, i got to adorn myself. i, I got to get a tie. I might even have to rent a tuxedo. 
I, I still have ties. I'm not sure about a suit coat that fits, but I got to put all that on, shine my shoes. I'm going to adorn myself so I look good or better. <laughs> look better. We'll go with that. Not too hard. Oh, now it's my wife's turn. It'd be filled with grace. First thing they got to do is start fixing the hair. All you prom parents can relate to that. It takes more than five minutes to fix their hair. Got to look good. Then they might put on makeup to cover all that natural beauty. But they think it's adorning themselves. Put on some earrings, get a necklace or two or three. Amen. Rings on how many fingers? All ten? <laughs> Elaine? Yes. We've, get the, get the, we're adorning ourselves. Why? Because we think we're trying to make ourselves look better. Now, I have this question in my mind when I look at that. Is How in the world do you make the gospel of God look better? How do you make the doctrine of God look better? How do you adorn the gospel? At first, it makes absolutely no sense because the gospel of God does not need adornment. There is nothing we can attach to it. There is nothing that we can add to it that makes it better. However, we can show the beauty of the gospel by how we live. How we live. Not just better words, but a better lifestyle. Can adorn and show the beauty of the gospel. The gospel is adorned when it affects our life. You know, to live means to act. When the gospel impacts our life, and it affects our life. It affects our character in such a way that our conduct is changed by the grace of God to adorn the gospel, to beautify the gospel in the sense not to make it look better, but to demonstrate the gospel by the impact that it has on our life for the glory of God. Even slaves, even the slaves are able to do that by their behavior, by their conduct, by their character. The lowest, if you would, in the culture are very capable. In other words, no one is incapable of not showing the beauty of the gospel. As a matter of fact, I was a science teacher in a lifetime previous to this one. I don't believe in reincarnation. Don't go there. But one of the things that frustrated, matter of fact, that led to my salvation, teaching theory as fact, this theory and that theory as fact, when they're not fact, a theory, until proven, is really just an opinion. The gospel is not a theory. The gospel is fact. Until we live out the gospel, it really is nothing more than a theory in our way we're presenting it. Oh yeah, the gospel will change my life. I should be this, look like this, act like this, behave like this, do this, all these things for the glory of God. Well, it sure sounds good coming out of your mouth. Great theory. 
Is it a fact in your life? Is it being demonstrated in your life and in my life? And the reality is this, and this is why some of those songs just were so uh, impactful to me this morning, was we can only do this by grace. Only by grace. And as soon as I say only by grace, and I shared this in a Bible class, I interrupted Bob one time, and and I ended up by saying, I wish I could explain grace better. Because it has such an important role to play in the life of a believer. Grace of God. And I think sometimes the way we've defined it is too limiting. A lot of times, you may have heard the acronym for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace. Well, there's definitely some truth to that. We don't deserve any of his blessings. It's all at Christ's expense. I can go along with that, but it's way too small a definition. We can look at it and say, the unmerited favor of God. You look in a lot of books and you ask for the definition of grace, and that's what you'll get. The unmerited favor of God. Can't argue with it. We don't deserve it. He showed the unmerited favor of God. He showed grace to you and me when we were unbelievers. Or we would have never got saved. But he also demonstrated grace by allowing us to have the ability to accept the offer of salvation. And I think when we limit the definition of grace, we miss a very, very important part of it, and that is the power aspect of grace. Grace received releases a power within us and the power of the Holy Spirit. This is how grace allows us by submitting to that grace, to that power, we are able to see changes in our life that there is no way we could do on our own. Impossible. But the Holy Spirit and the grace of God allows us to be changed. In verse 11 of Titus chapter 2, it says these words, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. The grace of God brings salvation. Some of us might think we had a lot to do with our getting saved. Sorry, you you didn't. And there is only one way to get saved. It's by the grace of God leading us to salvation. The grace of God. Not other doctrine, not false teaching, not good works, nothing else. But it's the grace of God being offered to us before we were saved before we were even Christians. And notice it says, it appears to all men. First of all, that doesn't mean everybody gets saved. Let's get that out there right away. The grace of God is presented, that that leads to salvation, is presented to all men. Notice a few things. First of all, he gives it to us. He brings it to us. It's presented to everybody, but not everybody receives it. There's grace available for everyone to receive it, but many choose to reject it for whatever reason. And there are many. The grace of God. You and I cannot go and get salvation somewhere. It's given to us. You know, for someone, you know, you need to go get saved. What in the world kind of advice is that? You can't go get saved. The grace of God will lead us to salvation as we receive that grace. It's brought to all. It's only received by some. You know, that's getting to be a hard message in our culture today. 
Not everybody's saved. Not everybody in church is saved. Not everybody in this room. There could very well be people in this room with 200 people. The odds are some of us are not truly saved. There's not been a true heart conversion. There's not been true repentance of sin and acknowledging the only way, the only way we can be saved is to accept the sacrifice of Christ for my sins and surrender my life to him. There's no other way. There's no shortcuts. There's no works. It's by this grace that leads us to salvation. It's brought to all of us, but only some receive it. That should also encourage us that no one is beyond the reach of that grace. No one. Obviously, most of us weren't. Most of us weren't the greatest people in the world. And somehow or other, God brought salvation to us and gave us the grace to receive what he brought. So no one is out of God's reach. And no one can be so bad that God says, forget it. Don't even offer it to them. They are so bad. That's a lie. No one. It says it's brought to all men. Grace. Grace. And then Paul goes on, and he does this a lot in the New Testament. He does it a lot in the book of Acts. He kind of personifies grace or gives it you know, human, human aspects, if you would. In verse 12, it says this, instructing us, grace, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously and godly in this present age. Grace brings more than information. It says grace instructs us, grace teaches us, but it's more, think of it this way. It's how a parent trains up and raises up a child. We, we give information, no doubt about it. There's information that needs to be taught, transferred. So there is the giving of information. But that's not all we do as a parent, I hope. With the parenting, and we see it in the Scripture, there is a disciplining that goes along with it. There is the teaching, the information, for sure. There is encouragement, lots of encouragement. And there's also correction. And there's comfort. All of these things are part of what the Holy Spirit is doing when he is instructing us, teaching us. Teaching us what? How to live. And when we think about grace, we need to keep this in mind that grace comes from the very nature of God. It comes from his very nature. So what grace is going to do in us, desires to do in us, is always going to line up with the Word of God and the process of transforming us into the image of Christ. Grace comes with those kinds of demands. But it also comes with the power in it to change each and every one of us if we just receive that grace. How do we do that? Well, first of all, I'm going to show you three or four things right here in this verses. verse. It says, deny ungodliness and worldly desires. Deny these things. Doesn't mean just to avoid them. It means deny them, renounce them, turn away from them, have nothing to do with them. 
Don't even entertain them in any way, shape, or form. Refuse to participate in them. You could go on and on with all those words, basically saying, you got to not do these things. You've got to deny yourself. Deny ungodliness. How do you deny ungodliness? Well, it helps if you know what the Word of God is, so you know what is godly. That'd be a good place to start. But then to deny all those things that are ungodly. They become part of our past when, they become, when we become saved. They are not designed to continue to be part of us that we carry it along every now and then. No, it's over with. This whole pride of life thing, the lust of the flesh, should be done. The grace is available to us. But Charles Spurgeon, some of you may have heard of Charles Spurgeon. He was a pastor in the 1800s. He had a comment about this when it comes to men, but we can apply it to ladies just as well. He says, the most difficult thing in the training of young men is not to put the right thing in them, but to get the wrong thing out of them. Isn't that true? Man, we can teach truth or we can learn truth, and then we go and do the other thing all the time. We make the same mistakes over and over. How many times have you made a mistake and somebody comes to you and points it out to you and the first words out of your mouth are something like, well, yeah, I know that. (laughs) Well, if you know that, why do we keep doing it? We need to deny self and the Holy Spirit when we make the decision. And this is where I get into, I don't know how this works, but it's like there's this power of grace right here just waiting for me to make the right choice and there it is to help me get through it. He won't force it upon us, but it's there for us. Whenever we need it, it's there. Grace of God is what makes change possible in our life. And, and just think of it. It's freely given by God. He wants to give it to us. He wants us to receive it. And it goes on and says, to live. To live how? Sensibly, righteously, and godly. In this present age. In other words, now. We're to live this way now. This isn't some ethereal thing in the future. He says, I want you to live this way and I want you to do it now. I want you to live sensibly in regards to your personal life. You know, we can say this till we get blue in the face, but we have choices every day that we have to make. Choices every day. What is our standard that we make that choice based upon? We make choices to live sensibly. Make choices that align with the Word of God. And the grace of God will be there to enable us to live out those choices. Live righteously. And we could go in a lot of directions with that, but I'm going to just say this. Live righteously in relationships to other people. Live in a right way with other people. Loving other people. Treating them fairly. Speaking truth to them when they need to hear truth that they may not want to even hear, but doing it in love. Live righteously, and then, of course, live godly. Live in a way that our relationship with God honors Him. Tells us this is the way you need to live. And it's only possible by the grace of God, but He wants us to do this in the present age. Living in the present not in some far-off 
distant heaven. Start now. Then it says in that verse, looking. We're to deny, we're to live, we're to look. Look. Verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is all part of Paul's instructions on how to live well. Looking. Looking. And, and what is the blessed hope that you and I have? Is it heaven? That's a pretty good deal, but that's not it. That's not what's being referred to here. Is it glory? No. And the glory is going to be astounding. It's Jesus. Looking for the blessed hope of Jesus. Expecting his return. I mean, seriously, I know if I would live every moment with the thought in the back of my mind that was my baseline, Jesus is coming right now, it would affect the way I lived. It would affect the decisions I make, the choices I make. He says, continually be expecting, be looking, be ready each moment with an expectation. And then in verse 14, I put this on my notes as this is the big why. You're looking for great God and Savior Jesus Christ, and it goes on and says, who gave himself for us, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. There are so many things in that verse that you could expound upon at length. I'm not going to do it at length, but I want to point them out to you and you can do it at length. Jesus gave himself. First of all, to me the important thing is it was voluntary. He gave himself. He voluntarily went to the cross. We see the grace of God demonstrated in all of this. We didn't deserve him going to the cross for us. He didn't have to go to the cross out of compulsion. He willingly went to the cross. And what did he give? Himself. What more is there? That's it. What does he want from you and me? All of us. He wants us to give ourselves to him. And somehow or other, we get confused by the enemy and the world's way of thinking that that's going to cost us something more than it's worth. We're going to have to live a different way. We're going to have to quit this, give up that, do this. It is such a lie. The giving of ourselves to him opens the windows and doors to a life of blessing that we can hardly imagine. His grace is abundant. He gave to do what? To redeem us. And Bob touches on this so often in adult Bible class. We should all be there. He, he redeemed us from all iniquity, all sin, all lawlessness. It's been redeemed. It's done. It's over. When the enemy comes at you with guilt thoughts, shame thoughts, condemnation thoughts, if you've accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross, it means you were crucified with him and it's taken care of. It's done. What an amazing gift. Forgiveness, part of the package. Justification before God, part of the package. Deliverance from all those strongholds in our life, part of the package. All of it's there. Sanctification, part of the package. All we got to do is receive it. 
And it's all given by grace to each and every one of us. And why did he do this? He wanted to make us his own possession. His own possession. There's a picture here from in, in Bible times. This phrase that's used was often be used to describe when a king would conquer another people in a battle. And the king would go in then and see all the spoils of battle. And he would go and set aside what he wanted for himself. First and foremost. And we are told that he has set us apart. He went to the cross willingly for us to set us apart. We belong to him. We don't belong half to him, half to the world. We belong to him. And he not only calls us his own possession, he has set us apart. Why? To be zealous for good works. What are good works? Works that honor God. Living well. What can that look like? It can look like a lot of things. But the important thing is there, we should be zealous for good works. In other words, how many of us are zealous for something? <laughs> You're not, huh? I'm zealous for a few things. I'm kind of zealous about, you know, well, I'll get spiritual first. I'm zealous about the Bible. Okay, you, you can all sigh. I'm zealous about golf. Now, I, how many people in here like golf? You're my favorite people. I lived a dream this week. My son-in-law took me to a conference down in Jacksonville, Florida, and I played TPC Sawgrass Golf Course. The only golfers in here are going, oh, you're the luckiest guy I know. The rest of you are going, so? I want you to know the green fees to pay that course cost $700 to play one round of golf. I want you to know I'm a better steward than that. I didn't pay a dime. <laughs> and neither did the church. <laughs> but what are you zealous for? We're supposed to be zealous about God-honoring works, the things that will bring Him glory and honor. Why? Because of what He's done for us. He saved us and redeemed us so that we would be zealous for it. It should be like an automatic thing. We shouldn't have to drum up spiritual hunger. We shouldn't have to drum up doing good works for the kingdom of God. We shouldn't have to stir this thing at all. It should be automatic. Here's what he did. I am in awe what he's given us by grace. Therefore, there's going to be grace on me to go out and do these good works. And man, that's what I want to do. Why? Because that's why he died. And yet we always want to stir it up. And, I gotta, and we do. I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody in here. We've got to stir it up sometimes because we get stale. That's because we've lost the focus of why we're even able to call him child, our, our father, why he calls us children of God. We've lost that focus. We see the grace of God at work in our lives when we're surrendered to it. And in this particular section of Scripture, it tells us these three things for sure. To deny this ungodly living, to live sensibly, righteously, and godly lives, looking, expecting Him to return. And then verse 15 finishes this way. And yes, Paul is writing this specifically to Titus, but I believe it applies to every single one of us because we've all been redeemed. The grace of God has been given to all of us. It says, these things speak 
and exhort and reprove with all authority. Let no one disregard you. We are supposed to speak, exhort, and reprove. Reprove, correct. Yes, we are supposed to do those things. We are supposed to be sharing the message with authority. Not our authority, but we are messengers of the King. And we need to do these things in love. When it says, let no one disregard you, some of us like to defend ourselves in a hurry. I'm not going to let them put me down. I'm not going to let them say that about my faith. I'm not going to let them say that about my Jesus. Okay, let's go at it. I mean, may not fight, but we're good with our tongue. That's not what it means at all. What it means when it says, don't let anyone disregard you, what it means is, don't let anything in your lifestyle Give them an opportunity to disregard you. It's all about how we are living. By grace that comes from the Father, the Holy Spirit in us, by grace. Are we ready to live in this world that we're in right now and are we ready to face what's coming because it's going to get worse? Are we ready? Do we have the grace of God within us? And are we surrendered to the Holy Spirit in us to be able to live well like Paul is exhorting us to live here in the book of Titus? Are we exhorted to live a life that brings God glory and honor? Absolutely. Are we ready to do it no matter what? And frankly, we all know it's a lot easier in this country and yet we're still afraid of it. In other countries, you could be Alienated from your entire family, put in jail, or killed? Is that going to stop us from living a life that brings God glory? Is it going to stop us from living a life that will impact the world that you're living in? Do you and I have influence around the people we hang around with in a God-honoring way? Does it demonstrate the life of Christ to the world? And lastly, this is the perk on our side of the table, living a life that brings a life filled with the blessings of God. That's what living well means. Living well. We have a role to play, but we need to first and all understand that it all comes by grace. To receive that grace. And some of us, if you're like me, go, How do I, what's that even look like, receiving grace? It's such an, a mystery to me. How did you get saved? All of a sudden, there was this understanding. We might say the light bulb went on. I would say the grace of God presented it and brought it to us. And with the moment we made the choice, the power of that grace enabled us to surrender our life to Christ. All by grace. So we don't need to wear ourselves out working to earn favor here but we do have choices to make and a way to live that will bring honor and glory to Him. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I pray that as we take the time to meditate on what Paul told Titus, that you would speak to each one of us by your Spirit. 
I pray, first of all, God, that if there would be any of us here that have not received that grace that leads to salvation, we would accept that grace. That we would accept Christ as the sacrifice who died for our sins, made a way possible for us to call you Father. I pray that we would be able to receive and accept the grace that would enable us put the confidence in your words that says we're free of shame, free of guilt, free of condemnation, that we wouldn't live into bondage of these things where the power's been broken already. Lord, that we would receive the grace to live the kind of life that truly brings glory and honor to you. And Lord, I pray as we take those steps that we can take, give us the eyes to see the blessings that your grace brings into our life every day. God, we thank you for the ladies in our lives, the mothers in our lives, those that have trained us. We thank you for them, a gift from you to us. Pray you would bless us as we leave this place this morning. Pray, God, that we would walk being led by your Holy Spirit, that we would learn to hear your voice in every situation. We thank you for your patience and your love. Our desire is to become more like you. Thank you for the tools that will enable us to see that happen. And we all ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.